one way of looking at what we're trying to do is create a make the city like a garden city of food city like a very large continuous farmers market you know why not 40,000 people are involved in bringing three meals a day to Canberra we think we can bring 3,000 of those jobs into or near the ACT over the next five to seven years. Most of the solutions we think will be around soil and or protected cropping. And knowing where your food comes from, guess what? The market is demanding it. Welcome to Nourishing Matters to Chew On. I'm Anthea Fawcett. Join me on a journey across our food and agricultural landscapes as I speak with inspiring people who are tackling parts of the wicked puzzle to enable change toward a healthier, more sustainable fair and resilient food system and environment. I acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connections to land, water and culture. I acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. Climate and pandemic shocks pose real challenges across the food system, from production to transport to consumption. Recent floods have washed away or ruined vegetable crops across the eastern seaboard, and fresh food prices are now at record highs. And there are growing calls for governments to step up and to plan to increase the resilience of food systems to shocks and stresses. I'm speaking with Michael Clayson's, CEO of Regional Development Australia, ACT who, amongst many things, is a passionate advocate for agri-food innovation and a key proponent of the Canberra Region Food Collaborative. Michael, thanks so much for joining me for Nourishing Matters. Welcome. Thank you, Anthea. Michael, when you developed and put forward the ACT Sustainable Urban Food Proposal to the ACT government back in 2019, I imagine you couldn't possibly have envisaged how urgent and timely this issue would become less than 12 months later. Drivers for change have certainly escalated since then, and in February this year, you and the RDA ACT made a proposal to the ACT government's food and fibre strategy for the government and for the city to get behind the Canberra Region Food Collaborative. Can you introduce and provide an overview of what the Canberra Region Food Collaborative is, what it's all about, what its overall goals and objectives are? Thank you, Anthea. Yes, um, the Canberra Region Food Collaborative is an approach to Uh, governance for a local food system, for a system which is multi-layered, multifaceted, uh, and also very, very complex. And for that reason, we need an organising principle. And so what we are offering is this approach that we've uh, designed, uh, an approach that we've designed talking to a great deal of other people, wiser minds than ourselves, to... um, to know how to, how to start to structure that and, what, and how it might function. Just, just sort of outline what some of its overall goals and objectives are, the sort of the drivers of, or the whys. In uh, the work that we've done when we started uh, three or four years ago now, um, we discovered, a, we went on a journey of discovery, you could say, looking at uh, you know, who was producing what food and where, uh, both in the city and outside of it, in, at the peri-urban level, and then further into the region. What we discovered, of course, was that there are a large number of people producing food and distributing food and selling food from the very, very small micro type of organisations and social enterprises right through to uh, larger scale businesses, but uh, very uncoordinated and all striving very hard to do great business, but uh, with a lack of um, ability to sort of relate to see what other people are doing in that supply chain or elsewhere in, the, in that community. Um, so we saw a need to start to assist them to uh, and broker connections and partnerships and uh, understanding. 
Uh, it's what RDAs do, uh, whether it's in the food sector or it's in the other industry sector in, in regions. We, we are about attracting investment and jobs. In the end, it's as a small trusted broker, we we hope uh, through time also we'll gain the trust of um, food businesses and enterprises here locally to do the same. And something that's really exciting about your initiative or RDA ACT's initiative is that it's obviously about Canberra and the city and surrounds, but it's also the greater region. It sort of takes in towns and communities, produces really different climatic and growing conditions yep. within about a radius of 230 kilometres. So from Windsor Caribbee and um, yep. uh, Crookwell right down to the Eden Monaro. Would you just like to talk about that a little bit? Because that's, that's really innovative in the Australian context in terms of these urban food systems. That's right. I think um, having, I come from a background uh, in investment attraction and, and at, at scale. In, in our case, um, throughout Australia, there are many, many medium-sized farms, medium-sized businesses and small businesses. And they tend to get characterised as hobby farms, which is, which is an unfortunate characterisation. Many of these are really, really uh, efficiently run beautiful enterprises, farm enterprises among them, but also food manufacturers, uh, which are adding a huge amount of value to their product and are servicing all sorts of different markets or have aspirations to do so, but need help. The diversity is a both a virtue and also adversity in the sense that so different and hard, therefore, to communicate with other parts of that supply chain. Concrete example is transport and logistics that you know, people trying to get their product to market perhaps in, in Canberra through a farmer's market or through perhaps to a, uh, a supermarket or independent grocer uh, has to actually transport that stuff there. Uh, and they're doing that independently because they're, they're taking that initiative, but they don't know who else is in, has the same issue. They might know in their same valley who has the same problem because they talk and they're neighbours, but in the next valley or the valley afterwards, they don't. There's opportunities there for people to be put in touch and to be able to collaborate on all sorts of practical problems, one of which is getting food to market. These companies and these businesses, these farms need that support. And that, as I said, the diversity is a strength because there's a huge amount of demand in the city. Our city is not unique in that, although it is a particularly high income. The household income in, in the ACT is very high and a, and a, a population which um, has a very, very strong demand and, and, and well uh, articulated demand for sustainably produced food. In fact, they just can't meet the demand in the farmers markets here. The potential around it is, is huge. Witness the fact that retailers like Harris Farm Markets have just announced a, a setup of their latest facility um, at the uh, one of the airport uh, business precincts, trying to tap that demand. And there's, there'll be, apart from Harris Farm Markets, there's a huge amount of other opportunity. You've touched on the greater diversity of very high value but quite small scale once called hobby but no longer really hobby um, farming and value adding activities and I think the whole sort of regenerative and sustainable food movement is seeing a lot more people doing a range of mixed income things and the smaller scale things they might be doing it might not be their whole income but it's still a very viable very important um, part of uh, of how of how they plan their lives and their incomes going forward and and actually taking that into the economics you know, supply systems and so forth, much more rigorously is really exciting because that's there's a huge amount going on there, isn't there? And, and that, and that uh, goes to resilience, business resilience. You know, so diversification of, of, of your of what you're producing and who, to whom you're selling. And the importance of diversification. Right here, we have a market sitting in the middle of a very large mixed farming regional area, um, and certainly there's lots of enterprises connecting to that. 
but there could be so much more connectivity. And that's what one of the things we're trying to drive is to help that mm. happen and, and to break down the barriers to that happening. And some of those barriers are on one side of the border and others are inside the ACT. Yeah, interesting. And a lot of the country towns in the greater region that you're including in the collaborative grow a lot of food, but are often fresh food deserts. So it's win-wins each way. I was going to sort of ask the question, and maybe we've already touched on it, but why is the collaborative so particularly timely and important now in the ACT and the broader region? You've, you've touched on supply chains issues, and there was a really interesting thing I read somewhere that Canberra's some 95% of your foodstuffs are currently imported from Sydney. Would you like to just elaborate on particular timeliness and importance now? Yep. Four years ago, I only had one statistic in my in my uh, kit box when I met <laughs> ministers and, and senior bureaucrats and, and other interest groups, and that was that I knew that there were only 72 hours worth of toilet rolls in stock held in Canberra. It's a very well-known metric now. Exactly. I said, uh, God, God forbid, how much food stored here should we run out of food and because I was met with rice smiles and, and, and chuckles because mm. yes those chuckles and rice smiles ran out uh, about 18 months later when we started experiencing the, the very same issue unexpectedly and I think that goes to vulnerability and food security yes 95 uh, percent of our food uh, our particularly fresh leafy greens fruit and veg come through city markets so we have a bevy of trucks that come backwards and forwards between city markets and, and our city um, and if those foods are uh, produced in a vegetable market you know somewhere between the two cities that the modern logistics dictates that you know that's the way the flow goes and for that reason at one level you know these fresh fruit and veg uh, aren't so fresh uh, because of that extra travel time um, there's also a, a, a travel miles or, or food miles element there, but it's more the question of, of time, I think. I grew up in Tasmania and I really know what fresh fruit, veg and good food is. When I moved to Canberra, I, really, I tended to go off quicker in the fridge than what I was used to. Um, and it's, again, a question of just a, a geographic reality. Um, it's no one's fault. And, but could we, could, we, could we correct that? Because... Um, interestingly, the city has a, a strong relationship that is forged with Singapore, partly in function of the tourism and business connections and um, direct Singapore uh, to Canberra flights. And Singapore itself is you know, uh, going ahead very, very strongly on a, on a self-sufficiency on food uh, narrative, uh, where it's investing a great deal of uh, time and energy into self-sufficiency. And uh, some Singaporeans I know who are in that sort of business said that, you know, it's no different in Canberra in a sense we're in the middle of a sea of uh, what was then when we had this conversation, very dry land subject to drought. Um, very little food produced, you can see very little stock on the land and very vulnerable. And indeed COVID's shown us how timely it is to start taking this seriously. But COVID's just an example. And I think mm. not to make an adverse, a, a virtue adversity, but it's brought to the light uh, these vulnerabilities that everyone had sort of taken for granted, we're not there, that the food keeps arriving to Canberra, right? Uh, so when I spoke about food two years ago to leaders, they were, said, they were saying, we don't do food here. I suppose that was a take-home message. You know, we don't do food in the sense of an, it's not an industry priority, and it's not, but it is, it is a essential service, it certainly is. And, and that's where I think um, the, the importance of looking really, really far, fast and sort of accelerating this in, at building local food capacity, buffers and and storage for that matter most of our food comes from city markets our other goods which is have a have a shelf life will be stored in 
warehouses in Parramatta and Western Sydney for transport here on. And that's going, that's modern logistics, but we, we need to also store more buffer. Yeah, um, I spoke with Gabby Chan some time ago and she spoke about particular communities on the western side of the Great Dividing Range in your region who were affected by the bushfires and couldn't get fresh food for a very, very long time. And so they kicked off their own food sort of not a food hub, but a food collaborative or exchange. And it's obviously going from strength to strength since there. So that's an example of resilience in action along the lines you're sort of talking about there. Exactly. The collaborative, <laughs> obviously systemic, you know, short to long-term, big picture, many stakeholders. It speaks to sort of four pillars, doesn't it? Or in your planning documents and submission, would you just like to sort of outline those four key key areas for sure um, a lot of our work uh, has been drawn on what, uh, examining best practice good practice around australia and also around the world one group of organizations we've become involved with uh work to the uh, they're not-for-profits a uh, couple of them based in the netherlands working to the food and agricultural organization and, and other un organizations like that and one of those is ruaf where they've tended to look they've tried to sort of create a framework around governance and, and visualising the whole of the local food system. And those frameworks are really, really useful in terms of sort of um, disciplining our thinking and helping us sort of focus thinking. For us, using some of that material, but also sort of applying a, a, our own regional filter because every region is different and we're different from every other region. So it's not like it's a, a, a any any means of silver bullet, but it help, helps us think and it also helps us mm think in terms of systems and that's that's and maybe we'll come back to that but that's that's the hard part you could say first of all a framework to sort of focus thinking and we've settled on four domains i suppose yeah one of those uh, is the obvious one economic development and livelihood so it's the it's the business end of this you know it's how many people could be employed if we can grow the sector in, in food production and food processing and storage and what have you, and um, retail. And that covers anything from, you know, in our case, new food projects, uh, looking at what the job outcomes could be, import replacement there, you know, that we think we have an estimate that we've developed uh, with people like Julian Cribb, uh, who's, who's, who's a local here, by the way, it's written the Future Food Wars. Um, but some of those stats show, you know, uh, import replacement running at a hundreds of millions a year where local food producers could supply certain food products currently only available through the major supermarkets. So next uh, domain, we call food security and nutrition, uh, which I've mentioned a little bit about already. Um, nutrition, a very sort of, um, again, we, we all speak about preventative health uh, and public health benefits of good food. Uh, and there's some good programs around Australia, around the world and, and locally. A huge amount of new focus, particularly on, on the research in from universities. And here we have the University of Canberra, but there are other universities throughout Australia looking at this, how this local food system is linked to nutrition and health outcomes. So it doesn't just go to the nutrient density of particular products grown a certain way. Mm. It also goes to that freshness issue um, we spoke about a little while ago. And affordability. And affordability, of course. So food security nutrition. Food security um very broadly defined, that's that acute stuff where people just need food relief straight away to meet food on the table, right through to sort of chronic food security issues where we might have shortages in certain food products arriving to um, into uh, supermarkets. So again, very interesting area, very challenging. Third domain, resilience and sustainability, is we, we've, we've coined this, um, again, using some of that material that, with, that RUAF out of um, the Netherlands has helped us develop. Um, that, that looks at um, 
helping and assisting regional and local food producers adopt climate resilient practice and technology. So making them aware and working with other bigger organisations which are already in this space, but helping as well on top of that and in, in, in imbuing that local, um, I suppose, confidence in a lot of the cases. It's about confidence, exposure to new technologies or approaches. And that's what, it, 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 you know, there's often the early adopters, but we, we also aim at that, those, that, that middle of the asymptote of that curve of adoption of those people who are just going to might follow those early adopters. And, and that's really what I suppose where we aim in particular on that. Lower emissions, sort of supply chain. So by definition, shorter supply chain means you're going to, there's going to be less emissions. Although, you know, the, the research shows quite clearly that in terms of food, food impact on, on, on emissions, um, it's not so much the transport task, but very much how that food's produced. So climate risk identification, mitigation is one thing. So helping government, um, this goes to governance, look ahead and say, okay, we've created a great local food system that's highly integrated and we've got new food, local food, you know, it's available much more than in the past. What does the, the, the trend in climate here over the next five years mean for producing certain types of food products? Maybe this region doesn't suit production of X, Y, Z. Maybe we should put our resources and support producers doing greenhouse instead of, you know, peas. <laughs> so that, that sort of um, forecasting and having a close identification with local producers and, and helping them adopt technologies, but also forecast what, what, what might be coming. Uh, there's a toilet roll example, you know, that, to know that, hey, we, we don't have enough of X, Y, Z. The fourth domain, I know I've gone on a little bit long here, but the fourth domain is social inclusion and equity, um, and arguably the most important of all. And uh, one that I know that um, the city government placing a very high priority on, in the ACT, we're a little bit different in, in the policy context that in that everything, every policy decision that's made in the ACT government is run through the prism of the um, of a local wellbeing framework. And, and that goes to you know, social inclusion. It's one thing to have beautiful food produced, but is it affordable for many people who struggle? So we're looking for systems and approaches that allow people to access food, afford, affordable food, and, and provide people more food agency being able to access food, maybe grow their own food uh, and, and cook in a more nutritious way and an accessible way. Uh, equity, again, always difficult, always a challenging chestnut, but one where we think food is can be a, food is a great way to reach out. Uh, I know this almost goes without saying, but to, to bridge gaps and, and misunderstanding. For that reason, we, we're encouraging a change in the culture around food. And that's what we hope to do. Again, it'll take decades. Yeah, fantastic. Some regions and cities and neighbourhoods do it better than others. And we, we're looking out all the time for those ideas and, and for those types of people to come and help teach us how to do that better. Not least of all, by the way, I should say, Indigenous culture and, and, and the food around that and that mm. huge long tradition of 100,000, 60,000 years of, of wild hunter-gathering. Uh, which is now translating into the most amazing Indigenous-led industry. That, of course, um, in a sense, is not about inclusion, it's about leadership. And they they are locally, we encourage them to take the lead and to help us, um, to guide us a little bit. Um, and I could name a few organisations we've started to work with on that. Mm. The, the livelihoods, the resilience and sustainability, food access and inclusion, all those things. It's so interesting to be thinking about that in the context of the city and the region, because as you say, actually really getting your head around and helping people understand identify opportunities of what should be grown where it's like to have sort of a helicopter level regional land use planning sort of conversation is what 
whole country needs really uh, as we frack our browns black soils but um how exciting to be doing that at a regional level bravo you on all of that talking further about the collaborative Collaboration and co-design to build and sustain a highly integrated city-region food system all seems really key to it. And I read you're engaging with um, some 72 stakeholder groups to help form a view about what Canberra's city and region food system should and could be or can be. Everyone's coming to it with a slightly different narrative or views. Can you just paint a bit of a picture of how you're going about that process, how far into it you are and how, how long you see it? Travelling into the future. The key is, is is starting the dialogue with all, all groups, and you mentioned seventy two. When you really get granular about how many people have an interest in food, it's seventy two. Gosh, you know how do you how do you do with so many groups? And the truth is, some groups very opposed to the um, philosophies of others. Others um, who who feel you know who are very business driven, focus on on business outcomes. Others about community outcomes. So, well, we haven't. Uh, I suppose, developed a strategy on this in a vacuum. We've looked again at what's done elsewhere in Australia, in other group, in other regions and hubs, uh, and also overseas. And uh, the advice that we, we, we got back was take your time. <laughs> Don't um, be disturbed by disagreement and suspicions between groups. And, it, it, you know, that's human nature yeah. for one thing. But also yeah. there's groups working in food, in, particularly in the urban area, that, that have been struggled and persisted for decades and, and in a sense have been quite uh, ignored uh, and now that we we think we're starting to main, look to mainstream many of the concepts and ideas that they've been championing and, and again being ignored about for so long um, they need a voice and because they know from having you know mortgaged a house to do something in food uh, and, from, and, and sacrifice all sorts of things not least of all um, Getting up, you know, very early in early mornings to do gardening and, and and work on the urban farm, and then going to work to hold another office job, and then coming back. Those sorts of lifestyles. Um, they, they've got a lot to teach us. So we're not there trying to tell anyone anything. We're just listening. It's a listening process. Even people a voice to to say, what is the food future that you would like to see in our case in Canberra and the ACT in the region? Yes, there's 72 groups, but. What we're finding is starting to emerge is common ground. So that's what we're looking for is that mm. place where, where most people agree, even a corporate sort of investor style kind of person or a urban farmer who wants, whose main seat is made in the barter market. Some of those sort of chestnuts, those sort of low-hanging fruit are emerging quite early. But the question is, engaging with all groups, and we don't have 72 committees, but we're, we're looking at sort of, we kind of bunched those into kind of nine groups at this point. ACT government asked us to go and, run a program of seminars, identifying these groups, starting to engage, starting to ask those questions. How long will it take? I think it will be continuous uh, through through the decades. If you look at places like Vermont in, in, in the US, uh, and, and this, this, this region very well known to the urban farming groups, they have permanent committees formed from different types of farming sectors, whether it's dairy or, or fruit or other types of horticulture, uh, which are permanently advising a secretariat run by government. Mm-hmm. In the end, these types of groups, that we're, at the moment we're running as seminars for these types of groups, will ultimately some will form into advisory or steering groups for, for government um, within the context of, um, of a food strategy, which I can talk about a bit later. But these groups, I'll just give an example. So we, so far we've just run, we're just in up to our fourth seminar and we expect that in years to come, it would be 
looking back, it'll be hundreds of seminars run. Uh, the seminars we've run so far have been for um, social impact. So we've had groups like Oz Harvest, people running uh, food ladders for emergency food aid, those sorts of groups. And the communities that works one of uh, community community ones, another one likely. There's others, mm. and getting them in the room to talk about food agency and, and uh, supply of food and what have you. Another one we've done is with the built environment, which is fascinating. Uh, look, getting architects, engineers, landscape architects, and developers in the room and um, starting to talk about how you know, what are the constraints on, on, on growing food in the city between buildings, on top of buildings, vertical farms inside of basements, finding, in fact, that the, the legislative framework inside the ACT actually lends itself to these types of things, but that the constraints, according to the practitioners, actually at the sort of uh, the junior bureaucrat level, the way this legislation and regulations are interpreted are very restrictive. So something needs to change there. But So part of what we're doing is educative, hey, there, there is an opportunity and look at what's happening elsewhere. So we'll bring a, a speaker in, a captivating speaker, who will speak all about what's happening in other places to excite people and to, sit, to create a bit of vision. In other cases, well, in all cases, you'll find there, there are people of vision and thought leaders who emerge, and we, we're seeing that already. Our most recent was on nutrition. So we had the University of Canberra leading a discussion among nutritionists so we're looking at we're in that food security and nutrition domain just starting to talk about you know you know what's happening around the world what are the what are the big trends you know what could have what could be done here to improve nutrition and, and one uh, very interesting outcome of that seminar among others was that what you grow here in in and around the ACT in terms of feeding the local market feeding people yes is determined by climate and uh, opportunity and you know the, the type of soil we have and the market that's also should be determined according to nutritionists according to what's needed in the nutrition sense so thinking again of course of things like procurement which we're, we're asking government to consider more seriously on the food side that you know if you can uh, do contracts with local farmers into aged care into the hospital and other locations you're, you're going to get a fresher product. Sure, there are problems in, in scale and volume and you know all that, but the nutrition outcomes are just, just stands to reason. It's fresher for one thing, but also if it's done in a regenerative way, it's better for the land. It's going to be a, a better nutrition outcome. So there's some examples. We, it, it'll, it'll last at infinitum, and, and so it should. It's co-designed, so it's not. We don't have a particular. What, what's the system going to look like in five, 10, 20 years? Um, it's the stakeholder groups that will determine that. And we'll look for those common, for that common ground. And that common ground is already emerging quite early, much earlier than we thought we, we would see. Mm. Anyone who visits Canberra, there's a hell of a lot of open space. So there's uh, all sorts of opportunities there. Correct. Yeah. Not yet enough ground that's being used for food. What we found was, interestingly enough, it can be done, but uh, the development approvals here require, if you're going to put an urban farm in between, say, two parts of a building development, you need to have worked out who's going to be running that urban farm, who's going to be looking after it, what the governance around the farm is as you put the your proposal in. Of course, if you're a developer, you're thinking about building stuff and trying to get all everything right around the, that massive complexity of doing a project like that. And, and that sort of thing gets left. So oh, that looks too hard if they're going to force us to appoint the farmer and the horticulturalist and all of that. So there's, there's a classic example of where, you know, there's good intention, legislation allows it to happen, but the implementation and approval process just makes it it's just a bridge too far for people so again another thing that needs to be fixed and these things are hidden you can't quite you can't see them 
I should also mention that we've worked with um, the natural resource management team in ACD government doing with a, a study that's been done by the Farm Institute. I can't tell you more than that because it actually hasn't been publicly released. But it's a, a, a beautiful study of, of, the, of the soil and the climate around, in around the ACT that looks at a very serious level about what can be grown here. So put everything aside, you know, what can you grow? And it starts from the premise, of course, that we actually have really poor soil types. And there's a whole story around why, we, why that's the case. Um, one part of which is that unlike most cities around the world, we were not built you know, on a floodplain of a major river. You know, we do, and we're here for other reasons. You know, we're placed in this particular place, and so in terms of that, uh, and, and why 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 were major cities in the in, through time always placed there? Well, they they merged organically because there was a water source and you could grow food, of course. That that's a fantastic body of material to be able to draw together, isn't it? Because it'll intersect with all some of the other pillars that you've spoken about elsewhere about food waste and organic waste and you know, appropriate urban and vertical or protected agriculture, you know, what's sensible where, but there will be, there will be areas where the soil can be regenerated and, uh, and built up with all sorts of organic clever waste things, I'm sure. And plenty of examples, plenty of examples locally to one, one company, little company, you start up food to soil, uh, does a beautiful um, uh, regenerative soil composting. GoTerra is another example, like now a major national uh, food cycle into creating a compost, a beautiful compost through uh, insect larva. So it can be done and, um, and uh, yeah, those soils can be regenerated. Lovely points you made too about um, the nutritionist seminar where people were wanting nutrient-dense foods considered into the loop of what's grown locally. I mean, I think given that you're in the region where there's a lot of cropping, you know, there's huge opportunities around lentils and pulses and that um, are regenerative of the soil and also really high protein. So that's yep. really exciting, yeah. Okay, I was going to ask you if you'd like to highlight one or two examples of on-ground achievements or promising developments that look to be coming together on the near horizon, and I think you've already spoken about some of them. In terms of the low fruit, are there one or two you'd like to just sort of describe? Look, one small part of the picture, but an important part of it, we've, we've championed is, is attention to, say, vertical farming. Um, not because, it, you know, it will feed... The city on mass at any point but it is certainly part of the solution and canberra because we're a government town that we've gone through a phase of moving to a better quality of building you know sort of a higher quality rating so the older buildings that were public service departments the buildings can't now be used for one thing they don't have enough natural lighting uh, so what do you use those buildings for now a lot of them or many are sitting empty uh, and you've got a lot of empty basements and so on surely we could convert those to vertical farming and there is a strong business case to do so. We've introduced uh, one among other vertical farms uh, to Canberra, one's called Invertigrow out of Sydney to start up. Uh, it's just scored a deal with Woolworths, actually start little mini vertical farms inside supermarkets here and there. It's actually even on the NASA program among others um, as well. They've created a small installation at Gin and Dairy, which is... Um, uh, what claims to be Australia's first, will be Australia's first fully sustainable suburb, which integrates food production, among other things. Uh, so a small installation there just as a demo to, about what, what a vertical farm might look like or can look like. Look, I, I think there's a huge opportunity to develop more of the farming, uh, the ancillary farming in, in the ACT, uh, particularly where there's that, the farmers have long, long leases, and that's another issue around leasehold because it's a leasehold territory here. We don't, we don't own the land. And we've done some work there with um, a number of 
businesses and, and social enterprises that want to invest, you know, quite large amounts of investment capital around agritourism. So it's around a, a play that incorporates sort of arts and food production, producing the obvious ones, gin and wines and all that sort of thing, but also high-end cheese products and yogurt and all sorts of other lovelies, uh, but integrating it with, with an educative piece as well. So schools um, and a social enterprise piece. And in one case, Canberra doesn't serve the, the retiree and the aged care market as well as it could, I think. It's a, it's, a, it's a very young city. And this particular one project I'm thinking of is about engaging those retirees and uh, people who are older, the final phase of their lives, at, back into the community through food. And with young people? Yeah, exactly. Um, and there's lots of this, all sorts of uh, things like this. So, um, again, I want to bring that social enterprise back into this because it's not all about business and producing food and selling it. Mm. In fact, you, the two speak to each other. You need one. The, the, you can't have one without the other. Either. I'm fascinated by the old Canberra public service buildings and basements. I mean, that's amazing. Can you give a sort of a ballpark of what sort of volume of space you're talking about? I don't have the – I don't have figures, but I, I know um, – one organisation, the Canberra Innovation Network, that's uh, a great champion of all types of startups. Um, uh, they've said to me at one point, I'd love to see a vertical farm operating in the basement of the building they're in. Thinking about those cities in Civic, for those who listen to this podcast who are from Canberra, there's a number of areas like that in, in Moore Street and Moore Street where um, you could quite easily put a, 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 a farm. For that matter, in, in Melbourne, copying what Melbourne's done, we did look at a leak for a lead in, in some aspects to what Melbourne's done, mm. you know, rooftop homes sit on top of um, car parks, which are struck engineeringly and structurally strong enough to sustain you know, a larger weight on the roof, whereas other modern buildings are not. I, I would take a big hit if I didn't say that most of the solutions we think will be around soil and or protected cropping. Severe climate here, which impedes, uh, you certainly can't do year-round food production here. Uh, unless it's uh, protected or in greenhouses. Soil-based stuff, lots of, as you've just pointed out, there's lots of space, lots of soil here and, and working in collateralisation is, is something that's really easy to do uh, in terms of growing the same product at different locations and drawing that together would be something that we, we know from entrepreneurs have told us and farmers said we, we would start developing that side of our business if we can get the green light. A beautiful organic grain that goes into beer, beer production, ancient grain, you know, uh, swaying in the wind near Civic somewhere, you know. And mushrooms growing in every car park. <laughs> well, you've got to be careful with the mushrooms in Canberra. We have the death cap here. So okay, I'll take that on notice. It's the most peaceful pastime in every other state, but in Canberra, it's, it's one that has a certain edge. Note to foragers, in the next six to 12 months or so, how can people get involved or what sort of upcoming events or further seminars to flag? Sure. Um, we run a program called Food in the Capital. The next major Food in the Capital will be in, um, we think, March or September of next year, possibly March, combined with a... Um, a large regen farming conference. So we, we're just talking about that, what that looks like at this point. In September, on September the 28th, we're running the Food in the Capital Sustainable Food Dinner, which will be a, quite a number of federal and, and, and ACT politicians present, particularly the new ministers who, who engaged around agriculture and food and, and, and also regional and urban food. And it'll bring together all the RDAs from the region, uh, leading chefs in their region, we're going to be talking about that, you know, sourcing the local food and, and how, how that's done and also, also the challenges that need to be overcome. And that'll be important in terms of we, we hope the AC will, will give us an um, update on the development of, a, of their food policy and strategy, which I haven't spoken about and I, I need, need to if I've got time. 
we're working closely with them to, to assist on that. Um, we're also running this, continuing to run our stakeholder engagement seminars. In July, uh, we'll focus on uh, food manufacturing, so that low-scale highlights and food production. There are some calls here for, to do a small innovative hub around uh, helping uh, this food manufacturing value-add uh, whether it's on farm or in in the city, um, how how to do that? How to brand? How to package? How to how to how to innovate? And in, in, in food has specific needs and requirements go beyond normal startup, you could say, because it, for one thing, food safety um, is so critical and, and and often forgotten. But you need to start with food safety at the very beginning. Um, so there's quite a few calls around that, including from some local providers who who taken on themselves to become almost uh, informal, unpaid food incubators for small food businesses. And we think a lot more could be done there. So we're going to have the seminar to sort of say, okay, what do you think your future is going to be, uh, food food manufacturers? And that we think that's going to be very exciting. I think food business incubation could spring up throughout the city as well. Okay, so that seminar is around manufacturing and innovation. Yeah, that's right, and, and processing. So there's a little bit of value add, but the high quality, you know, um, and as I said, for both farms and dedicated manufacturers. Michael, you mentioned um, that you'd like to talk about the ACT government's uh, food policy and so forth. And I had a question here around, you know, just acknowledging how many regions and cities around the world are well underway on their urban food policies and programs. You know, and in your submission you to, to the ACT government's strategy, you spoke about one of your recommendations was to sign up to the Milan Urban Food Policy Pact, which Jess Miller in Sydney got the City of Sydney to sign up to. I know Nick Rose from Sustain's a big advocate of that. And, you know, across Australia, you've got Vic Health doing amazing things. You've got the Open Food Network just driving all sorts of great stuff in Victoria and beyond. New South Wales has got an inquiry into food production and supply. Tasmania, where you've as you know, <laughs> long been the home to permaculture and really clever sustainable food producers and farmers markets and all the rest. So segueing into, what would you like to tell us about the ACT government's uh, food policy or strategy that you that you flagged you wanted to talk about? Uh, you know, first of all, I just want to, want to applaud the government for, for the initiative. It's the inaugural policy. The sector uh, hasn't had a policy or strategy at all before. And it's tended to bob between portfolios and ministers as, as time goes by. Uh, it's led by um, portfolio responsibilities with uh, Minister Rebecca Bassarotti, who's leading the development of that. And I think it uh, it's called the it's a strategy on food and fibre. It's about I suppose halfway through its process of development, and they'll have a final report done. Uh, by December. Uh, a lot of consultation with all sorts of groups. So there's been an open opportunity for people to put their two bottles worth in uh, and to engage directly, whether at forums or through written submissions. Um, so again, a very complex process and uh, sort of again, commend the SIGUM for what's been doing to date. Trying to get a handle on, I suppose, one is just how much is produced and, and, and what the, that food future can look like. What we're recommending is that it, it, the strategy be as open as possible so that it doesn't limit the future, that it can allow uh, it to grow in a way that's needed as time goes by and as as different threats and opportunities emerge through time we don't know what they are so if we have a fairly good idea about the climate change effects we don't know what other effects on international and national supply chains can emerge which for which we need to think through let alone we you know what will people end up purchasing here in canberra once more food becomes available so there's all these i think data is a classic need so one thing 
we, we, we're certainly promoting and, and engaging in already. It's much more research and data. We need data. We, we've done some rework, CRC for, for Future Food Systems, who helped us have get academics in the room to look at what are the data fields you need to collect to run and coordinate a, a local food system. Just on the sustainability side, there's 200. And what these academic researchers said to us, who are experts you know, in these local food systems, they said, in fact, what you'll find in is 2,000. You'll need to be gathering data on all 2,000 statistics through time, whether it's how much is produced, or what the waterfall patterns are, who's, you know, what, the, what the flows are. And then that will inform government policy and intervention through time where, where support needs to go, where, gut, where business needs to stand up, and, and contribute more because this isn't all about a government supply and putting all this money in ad infinitum. It's about one of what we claim is a structural adjustment intervention, which means capital and, and support and grants, generous grants to food businesses and enterprises, social or business, to to get past that startup, that difficult startup phase, and to meet the needs of what they call that you know sort of dark valley of. You've been to a startup and you've got to get through, you've got to get to scale, but how do you get the finance because you're not bankable and the bank won't lend you the money? We need to get past that. We also need to get past the mentality of, uh, oh, this is an industry sector, we don't pick winners. Now I'm an economist, I know that argument, and I know where I know the setting and there's a context for that argument. This is food as an essential service. So throw out the we don't pick winners argument because it doesn't apply. We need to get and support with government intervention. But in the end, business and corporate sector and philanthropy also need to step up. Step up. So it's, it's about a combined effort through time. We're offering ourselves as a way to help implement that. We're not the only way, but we're certainly a way to, to think about it and to, to broker. It's certainly what, why RDAs exist. RDAs exist to, to broker and support in a, with no, um, we are apolitical, not there to make money out of it, to cover our costs. So we're an honest broker and we've, um, from experience in renewable energy and other work I've done in similar brokers, broker organisations, people start to trust you and you trust confidences. And for that reason, you, you find you can begin to uh, craft solutions for all sorts of business that, 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 that either they didn't expect and you didn't expect because you you can connect the, put the connections together. And that's, I think, certainly what the ACT government has in mind, the it's, I suppose the, the challenge will be the implementation. Would you like to comment on or mention perhaps other, I don't know, really great Australian food system projects, incubators, researchers or people who you found especially helpful in the work that you're... You, you mentioned one or two already. Um, first person I mentioned is Nick Rose and the Sustain Network. Just brilliant, really. They, have a, they put stuff together. They, they convene, you know, professional groups, but also... Uh, so not just theoretical, but they kind of they've got the theory and the policy, but also they also support actual projects in the urban setting. So they're mostly urban <coughs> focused, but um, that's one group that stands out. Um, Open Food Network again um, have a, a, a small footprint here through one of the hubs uh, called Southern Harvest, and we've already started talking to Open Food Network, particularly on they're doing some really clever stuff in transport logistics and last mile logistics, which is one of the hard to solve problems I've mentioned before. So Open Food Network. Oh, the problem with mentioning groups is if Lee, yeah, I, I know uh, we haven't as much to do with them as, you know, the um, Food Sovereignty Alliance are, are well thought of as well. They, they operate strongly in certain areas. 
people like, I suppose, Digby Hall has been a great um, foil for us too. Digby uh, is an architect from Sydney who's also works with the um, uh, Small Farms Network in, 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 in Sydney. People like Digby. Um, in terms of thought leadership too, you, you can't not mention Alana Mann, who's actually, I think, in the Food Sovereignty Alliance, but had worked for Sydney University, is now in University of Tasmania. Huge, you know, you know, credentialed leader thinking about these systems. Rachel uh, Carey from Melbourne University, and she's been on the ABC quite a lot recently over food security issues. Great, again, another you know, really sophisticated thinker. And, and these types of people uh, support these grassroots organisations. Not to mention some of the food security point of view, you know, it, the, the well-known groups like Oz Harvest and, and um, First Bite and, and Food Bank. Um, th there are, what we've discovered, are so many small and groups that are doing food ladders just because they saw the need, particularly during COVID. Um, there's another story in itself that the government tries to help and sometimes comes across the top with goodwill, but uh, this, it's already been done very effectively by these small food ladders which just need amplification. Yeah, I think that's what I was sort of getting at, that there's a lot of really clever stuff out there already yeah. that just needs recognition, amplification. And that's what we want to do. It's not, not sort of say, oh, here's an, we've got some idea, some theoretical idea. Mm. It's already been done. And, and it's a question of saying, well, this, here's an example. So we want to change the food culture. We say, well, that sounds great. It's sort of theoretical. How do you change food culture? Well, it starts with schools and children. Who's working in that space? At, at one level, there's the ones that are driven by chefs like uh, Stephanie Alexander's Kitchen Garden Foundation there's a beautiful thing around food culture it's got STEM in there as well it's about engaging and, and mm. expressing love through that dinner table and food the whole thing, nice beautiful uh, uh, Maggie Beer worried about aged care and doing it yeah so beautiful and, and uh, again amplifying those sorts of opportunities I, I know there's a commitment by the Albanese government to help help Maggie Beers Foundation do that. And I think, um, you know, there's there's many other small startups are going up. Yeah, no, I think, I think we've covered the space pretty well. <laughs> or, you know, alluded to all these, just, it was really just a flag, just how, you know, you're doing this lovely big picture strategic and lots of data and, and, and with sure. agribusiness CRCs and all those sorts of things and agri-food hubs. And then you're also so well linked into uh, the community academic people on the ground doing really innovative models and things. And so that's just exciting to see those connections, yeah. I did make a point to someone, uh, an investor, who was looking at you know, an urban farming contest. And it, it depends how... It, it, uh, the Minister, Rebecca Vassarotti, I mentioned before, said when she came to Food in the Capital, she's mentioned the word two or three times. She said imagination, which sounds... Well, what does that mean, imagination? Well, I had this investor who was looking at an urban farm and... and they they didn't quite have enough imagination. Mm. What they saw was like, oh, this is just a very large vegetable patch. Uh, but they don't have the context that there is a community and a neighbourhood there. That those people are actually selling or bartering, often more selling those carrots to people in that in that region. And there's a, a trust and a, and a love for that food and a connectivity. In fact, that and it's a bit like recreating village life that we've, we've lost in the big metropolitan, the big metropolises of the world. How do you recreate neighbourhood? Well, one of them drivers is is food. And in fact, if you trace back the history of the big food conglomerates, many of them started <laughs> from a garage uh, and uh, selling, you know, creating a food product that was a maybe 
you know, an Italian food product cookie or a cabanossi that becomes Don Smorgas down the track. You incubate everything, you let everything grow, and, and, and things have different needs and meet different needs. Mm. Duluth, and again, this came up at um, a conference I was at just recently in Morgan, the uh, Agri Digital Conference, um, by Agri Futures Australia, where interestingly enough, you wouldn't have heard a conference like that in the past. People talking about that neighbourhood engagement around the, the social fabric, but you're starting to hear that starting to come up at conferences where, where they're talking about big scale ag and big export and feeding 80 million around the world. Uh, yes, but there's more, more slow but growing awareness around that grassroots stuff because you the two are not independent. Uh, and knowing where your food comes from, guess what? The market is demanding it. Who's very good at doing that? Neighbourhoods, small artisan staff. They, they're just good at it. And how do they do it? Personal connection. How do you do it when you get bigger? You've got to digitise it because you, you can't know that farmer. You know, a thousand customers for that food product can't know the farmer. And hopefully it'll be free, open, open, open source. So there's so much amazing stuff happening in that digital space. And citizen science, it's a bit like citizen food too. Let's move towards a bit of a wrap. Thinking about things really specific to Canberra and the region and challenges and opportunities. I think you've already spoken about quite a few of the challenges in terms of the soil, not being on a river, protected agriculture. Are there any other challenges that are particular to Canberra and the region? I think um, one challenge is that traditionally Canberra is a it's um, a services economy. So um, while it's got a, a, a much bigger private sector than most people would give it credit for, mm. Um, mm. a lot of that private sector serves government. Yeah, and um, we don't make much stuff. We don't produce much stuff. It's physical stuff. There, you know, there, there's a lot of exceptions, but we're not Parramatta. We're not an industrial zone. And to deepen the economy um, is going to be is critical. And we certainly an objective of the ACT government is to is to diversify. Uh, I mean, certainly need to diversify outside of services. So services is always going to drop be the main driver. One thing I do know is that we we have great uh, ideas which become startup companies, and the food innovation, the um, camera innovation networks helps shepherd those companies. Uh, of those that succeed, many leave the city. Why do they leave the city? Part of the reason is there's a big market in Sydney and Melbourne. I'm, you know, you're, you're opportunity by being based there, but also because there's not enough depth and that sort of wedding cake tiering you see in other cities around Australia. Earlier. What we're trying to do through food, and there's there's like manufacture under there, there's a lot of other layers that could be created, is to create start to create some of those layers in the economy, which will allow uh, startups to stay to stay put because they they can uh, got a, a deeper uh, footprint here and they, they don't need to necessarily relocate. Cost is another challenge here. You know, we, we're a small place, a growing population, and there's pressure to uh, naturally and, and, and needfully to uh, accommodate more people. That means building and it means in new neighbourhoods. It means, you know, building more apartment blocks. Um, so there's that natural tension between building to accommodate people and start to, well, it's a terribly high housing prices here. I mean, they're, they're, I think they're right up with Sydney, if not in advance of Sydney, and eating up the land uh, and particularly farmland. So. We, we spoke about the poor quality land uh, mm. soils here. There's, there are some areas that are completely an exception to that. Now, uh, very, very productive. Majura Valley is one of those, which is abuts the airport. Uh, so important that we 
protect it. And you know, Victoria and Melbourne in particular, they've, they've got to that point where they're now legislating to say, well, this far and no further. Protect it. Mm. One good development, not everyone sees it this way, but from our point of view, we, we think it's a good development, is that there's been an active policy in the ACT to densify. So to start to filling in, to, the densification is to fill in some of those big empty long range parks between uh, buildings. And while that can go too far, I think that that's an important development which takes pressure off, uh, off the land, something that the ACT government's looking at uh, continuously, but probably more proactively now is giving confidence to farmers to invest. Uh, so if you've got only a three-year leasehold on your land and it comes up for renewal, or, or in the worst case scenario with some farmers, it can be like month to month, you can get a notice and you have, you have actually have three months to exit the land. You might've been on there for three generations, right? You're not gonna invest in a new livestock. You're not gonna invest in, a, in some uh, cheese or some other sort of speculative you know, product because you're not sure whether you, know, you can lose your money. Um, so, you know, leasehold and giving more certainty farmers is going to be critical for, for, for fulfilling the, the objectives of any food strategy here. So it sounds like you've got a, a very, I mean, you, you've, you are actually very focused on, not the ACT, on Canberra. You're focused on the city. How, how much is this, I mean, a lot, of what, a lot of the things you've just been speaking about then, if you had an infrastructure and a, a strategic vision that was really taking in the full region. Wouldn't you be a bit of tree changing a bit more some of these uh, pressures? I, I think the answer to that is that the in the medium to, to long term, the solution for food in the ACT comes mostly from New South Wales and from those regions. If that's what the question means, that we that we um, that that the the heavy lifting will be done by farmers who have got uh, larger scale in that broader region, uh, and so it's it's a yes it's a, it's an ACT policy. What what we're saying to I suppose to, in, in that sense a farmer in New South Wales doesn't care too much. I might come to shop here occasionally for at Christmas and, and Easter or New Year. Uh, but um, nothing more than that. They might have some relatives working here or something and visit for holidays. What do they care about our policy? Well, they don't. What they care about might be selling more into Canberra. So the, the, the pitch, as it were, is to help you as a farmer, wherever you are, wherever you live in, you're near Wagga, maybe somewhere else, if, if you're thinking about farmers' markets to help you start to, to get into that business and to, if you're ready here, to expand. In some cases, to actually create shop fronts here through cooperatives. Perhaps there's two dynamics there. There's the Canberra Region Food Collaborative, which is the greater region, and then the detail that you were going speaking to just, just prior was more perhaps more directly to, to the ACT government's food strategy, which is parallel and complementary. Hmm. Yeah, and, and, the two, and, and I suppose that's a, you know, that we have an organisation called the Joint Organisation, which is a nine LGAs organised from on New South Wales government, of which, you know, the ACT is actually a member, along with Wagga and uh, I think East Gippsland as well. We think we can, you know, food is a classic need, an example of cross-border collaboration. If food's already flowing cross-border, I'm not saying it's not coming across border, we think it's a, it's a easy, you know, in, in a, one sense, a way to build that collaboration because... The Canberra Region Food Collaborative is nine, is nine LGAs, is that correct? Yeah. Well, it includes that region, yeah. So uh, we, we're not, we don't have a, a formal partnership with those LGAs. No, that's the footprint that one of your maps um, visually shows, is that right? Correct. It also takes in roughly five RDA areas. 
So um, we're talking about seafood from as far as, as Eden, and we're talking, you know, indigenous foods from, say, Griffith or some place like that, um, up to orange and beyond, um, without getting to, without without drawing a, a firm line, but it's do, a dotted line, but it gives a sense of think, think heat maps, I suppose. Let's talk about some of the really promising opportunities, particular to Canberra and the region. Michael, what is it about Canberra? You know, that it's people, culture, and entrepreneurs, universities, and other that you that you see might especially help drive and support Canberra's food policy and the Canberra Region Food Collaborative and what it's you know, what the big picture aims are. What are some of the special features about Canberra that really make this a very fertile, pardon the pun, place for what, it, for what you're doing? The ACT is, um, it, it's, it's got a small geographic footprint. So it's a, it's a small city um, where uh, it only, only has one layer of government. So in terms of getting movement and getting change, once some, something's been agreed... <laughs> you can do it. Yeah. It's uh, also, it's, uh, I come from Hobart, where everyone knows each other and, and, and many are related Canberra's a little bit like that. People know each other. There's a connectivity here. Despite the sort of negative stereotyping of Canberra, you know, it's a cold city, people aren't friendly. Um, it's quite, quite not, the, the truth is completely different. That, that, you know, it's like any other city. Mm. Um, but it's also a city with, again, when you look at the statistics, it's got a higher education level and higher sort of um, higher education um, outcomes in terms of you know, people who have a university qualification or or a advanced diploma in that sort of level in VET. They are highly engaged in, in social movement, social change as a rule. So these statistics are kind of provable demographically. So, and they are tend to be, particularly you can see it in renewable energy and in recycling, very quick to adopt and comply with government directives, which they get. And everyone gets recycling, everyone gets renewable energy everyone gets emissions so they they quickly sign on in because they want to do their bit but also they understand it mm. so um and then finally in terms of you know purchasing uh they can they can afford because of high very high household income often driven by government jobs but not, not not exclusively they can afford to purchase you know whether it's a new energy system um or uh, uh go to a farmer's markets you know one, at least once a week and, and purchase products uh, so, in just going to that, we, in one way of looking at what we're trying to do is create a, create, make the city like a garden city, a food city, a, a like a very large, uh, continuous uh, farmers market. You know why not? Yeah, I, apparently you have more farmers markets than any other state or territory. That's right. Yeah, I don't know who gave who generated the statistic, but it's acquired sort of local local uh, knowledge. And uh, but it, but you can see it. I mean, in fact, uh, I, I do regularly with each farmers market, and they you know they they can't meet the demand. They just can't. Um, in fact, they, they they're looking for car parks to be built because they just people don't have there's, there's nowhere to park cars, and people have to drive away and not come. So, just very roughly, how many farmers markets are there? There's six or seven, depending on how you count them. Um, but there's also every every month, more or less, you're hearing about it, some almost like pop-up markets are starting to develop. Most recent, um, one of the most recent is Hague Markets, which is based, for those who know the city, just sort of north of uh, Lonsdale Street in, in the park, which is at the T-junction. It's uh, so by two entrepreneurial young women who have created a, a very nice uh, sort of ambience there for, for food. Um, Epic Markets is the most long-standing of them, run run um, uh, with, with by Rotary, and it, it's a uh, um, again a 
has a you know very beautiful depth to it. Um, also, um, again, I haven't mentioned everybody. There's, there's other markets too in the south, etc. Poor markets at the moment, but um, what I've seen, say, for instance, at Epic Markets, is their willingness to sort of support food producers, particularly through the tough times when the bushfires impacted a lot of those areas. What they actually were supporting financially their holders. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Don't necessarily, uh, you know, uh, not to sort of uh, be critical, but you know, do you, would you see Westfield doing that? I'm not sure you'd see Westfield's <laughs> subsidising. Mm. Um, but but by the way, maybe they should take their lead from what you see these sort of farmers markets haven't done, you know, and, and they, they're not for profits, uh, but they're um, enormously engaged. And that, that's, a, that's a community, right? So it's not just about the food, it's a, it's a community. Yeah, and, and you've said elsewhere that you've got a, a small but super entrepreneurial urban food community, food co-ops, urban farms, community gardens and all the rest. Mm. Yeah, I, of course. And, and um, I can mention many there. Canberra uh, Farm itself, Canberra City Farm is, is one of the oldest Longest standing, largest scale urban farms in Canberra. Um, glad I remember to mention them. That they, they've been such a book of wisdom for us to help us sort of ground truth ideas. And where is that? And can people visit it? Oh, they certainly can. Yeah, it's um, Dairy Flat Road. So it's sort of you go to Fishwick and you take a left. Uh, there's also Capital Brewing out there. There's artisan food producers. Beautiful uh, organic cafe there, all sorts of you know lovely stuff. Developed by one of the big, really innovative developers here, Malonglo Group, um, who are doing a foreshore development. And that foreshore development um, at its edge, Canberra City Farm is sitting. So we're, we're excited about what they might do there in terms of integrating that food narrative into their development. Fabulous. Okay. Well, and and just generally, obviously, there's so many sort of linked up opportunities, social, economic, and sort of in between almost, just talking about jobs and growth of new businesses and sort of more formal economy stuff, what, what are the sorts of economic opportunities uh, that you see or hope for on the horizon in terms of the big picture that you're working on? Big, big picture opportunities. I, I think uh, I've mentioned a few in terms of on the food side of things, yeah. Or agribusiness, agri-food, however you're conceptualising, yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's a there's a huge potential for uh, you know, medium scale uh, horticulture developments um, up and down the Golden Corridor in, into Canada and beyond. They would service um, that, so that fresher food using a great deal less water. Uh, we're talking about fresh, you know, leafy greens and that sort of thing. Um, and I think we'll see a lot more of that. We saw it in the 90s in the Southern Highlands leading to Canberra. And we, the, the, the market's definitely primed, not just in the Canberra, but also in the Sydney and some uh, organisations for export. That's that's going to be, I think, a huge sector. Aquaculture is another. Um, you know, we're working with one aquaculture company to set up in the ACT, producing Murray cod, circular economy, so beautiful, you know, a, a beautiful fish, but also a beautiful production system. Actually, the owner is a, a CSIRO scientist, an ecological scientist who, who gets it, who, who really, but he's also an entrepreneur. So aquaculture is going to be part of the picture, I think, linked to the greenhouses. Um, so a little bit like, I suppose, what you're seeing, what you've seen in, in that, the Netherlands um, over the last 30 years. Um, that's one, one aspect. The other is, um, I think, you know, urban farms, you're just going, you're going to see, regardless of all the restrictions and the barriers and the problems and the challenges, you're just going to see many more of them integrated into, you know, 
food food service, agritourism in in uh, in markets. You'll you'll see a lot more of that, and, and give, providing a sort of a neighbourhood village atmosphere, which you know, again Canberra has, but it needed to, it needed to upgrade and up, up. Yeah, but it's such a beautiful city, and there's so much open space, like so much opportunity for all these really very attractive high amenity businesses, places to visit, you know, it's very exciting, yeah. Yeah. No, one, one big proposal that's around here at the moment is uh, bringing this Byron Bay, Byron Bay farm concept to Canberra. It's an agritourism kind of uh, approach. It'll be different because there's a different climate here. It's, you know, it's not thongs and T-shirts and shorts except for three months a year. But it, it, uh, do, doing our own version of that here and, and versions of it, doesn't, there's all sorts of opportunities around that. People want to know where their food's produced and also to engage with how it's done. So I think that we'll see more of that. And uh, I think I think we, we need to do a lot more work in, in institutions and uh, I think we'll see a lot more of that. I think, um, I say institutions, it includes schooling and that's where the culture will change. We're engaging a lot with the restaurant, the restaurant trade is we, we have a very, you know, it's a very high quality, for a small city, very high quality restaurants for a competitive market and we we think training in schools will be there's a big opportunity because it's a city that's very capable in training education we'll see a lot more investment around that uh through also Canberra Institute of Technologies and creating a new campus where, where it's going to have a new impetus as well we think we can position Canberra and the ACT as a, as a place where you might not be producing a lot of food for the world but you can certainly be training and skilling people whether they're chefs or they're urban farmers or they're greenhouse producers in collaboration with other centres of excellence around Australia. I mean, um, there's so much expertise around. And what about logistics? What about, you know, new jobs and logistics and different transport hubs and little, you know, smaller local systems, a bit like Open Food Network, but economic opportunities for people in a more layered kind of food logistics industry? What do, what do you think about that? I think the we are encouraging the start of uh, all types of e-commerce platforms in, in Canberra. Uh, groups that we've been encouraging to start here are like Box Divi, which is an interesting group. Open Food Network as well, which is again, as I said, has a footprint that's expanding. Food Marquees out of um, um, the South Coast is another, and there are other examples. Um, alongside of that, of course, once people have visibility about what they have to sell, whether they're a wine producer or a um, some sort of food manufacturer, farmer um, it's getting that food to a place so we are supporting but we also will expect to see the creation of small mini logistics hubs some of these are already just organically mm. Mm. Uh, but we we would like to see government actually support that and actually assist with the physical infrastructure of those places some of them might be distributed through the city but also i mentioned corporate and private sector stepping up i, I do know that among some of the uh uh, the large, some of the supermarket chains, independent grocers uh, among them, would be capacity to share some of the facilities that they use and some of the techniques they use, which are very, very clever and very nimble in terms of collating the food into one place, consolidating it, and then getting it to either direct to someone's door or to a, a restaurant or somewhere else. I think that we'll see those. But it's one hub for the ACT. We don't know. Do we need one or do we need multiple? And or if there's a big freight hub developing, that's another question on a sort of big level for freight in general out of the ACT. There's have been calls from different quarters about a creation of freight hub. If some freight hub was developed in around the airport, for instance, we would want to see you know, a special part of that dedicated to that local food system so they can leverage off something like that that shouldn't just apply to you know getting large amounts of commodity in and out of the 
the city or in barely hold of aircraft, but also accommodates that our local food system. Having freight consolidators, people who can take small amounts of stuff and pack it onto pallets to send somewhere. It's also who who the uh, freight companies are working for and if it's one or two of the monopolies, will they want to? Correct. <laughs> Correct. I love that idea you just painted of the corridor from Goulburn through to Canberra, maybe to the snowfields of leafy green, small production and so forth. That's really exciting, isn't it? And, and I think elsewhere I've read you've, you've spoken about, you know, over in the next decade, hopefully adding three to 6,000 more jobs to the already 40,000 jobs and things like, things like that. Yeah. What's coming up next? You've mentioned the Food in the Capital Conference coming up next year and a dinner in September this year? Uh, we'll also then be doing uh, seminars for, for farmers and, and, and urban farmers uh, around the October period. They're already being engaged, of course, uh, on the ACD government food strategy as well, very uh, intensely as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, what we're looking ahead to is beyond the strategies is that implementation. How do you go about doing this? As I said, well, I think we've got the formula there. The research that we've done and the people we've engaged with show, you know, really, really clearly, apart from being a central service, we just we need to get this done, is that we can generate, you know, huge amount of jobs. We, we you mentioned forty thousand. We calculated there's forty thousand people throughout Australia in some way or another, whether it's pushing a button on a palletizer on at, at Port Melbourne for some food products coming in on a ship, through to a farmer producing grain that ends up in bread. 40,000 people are involved in bringing three meals a day to Canberra. We think we can bring 3,000 of those jobs into or near the ACT over the next five to seven years. Uh, and that's achievable. There's a big economic opportunity here. And, and at the end of the day, though, um, cheaper, healthier, more nutritious food that's accessible to disadvantaged groups, groups that at this point are often excluded and, are, as you pointed out at the beginning, are being hammered the most by high uh, price inflation in, in, in food, and you know the, the, the massive calls on on the on the so on groups like Olive Harvest that, that they can't even meet now, uh, we really are in a really really critical moment that it's going to need really innovative thinking, um, thinking outside the square and beyond prejudice and to to solving problems mm. and, and and the social benefits the economy will come, so you, it's it's a it's a win win at every level. Uh, just needs you know leadership. Uh, you know we're excited by by the opportunity and, and to you know just just to help that along. We're not we're not the leaders. We we are going to facilitate and, mm. and and also help those leaders of which we've got plenty locally and nationally you know, to get a voice and to to be heard and to to implement some of the stuff that they've been testing and trying and they know and we know works. Yeah, uh, it's just a question of giving them a chance to to show that at, at a at scale and in, in, in our city at, at our own scale. So as you say, you're waiting for the ACT government sign off on the food and fibre strategy by the end of this year. That's right. The collaborative is well and truly well underway. And um, come the end of this year, hopefully you'll have some positive feedback and further funding and resources to, to grow it even more. Is that right? That's right. That's right. So uh, we're happy for investors to approach us, for corporates, for social enterprise, we're, we're all comers and we'll 
um, happy to, to work with anybody any and hear any bright ideas so we we hear them daily i get emails and phone calls <laughs> michael yeah, fantastic thank you very much michael it's been, it's been really great to speak with you cheers i've been speaking with michael clasons who is the ceo of regional development australia in the act that's the home of the agri-food hub and of the canberra region food collaborative that we've been speaking most particularly about today thanks thanks very much michael it's, it's fantastic stuff cheers thanks thanks for listening To listen to more episodes of Nourishing Matters to Chew On, head to Foodswell's podcast page at foodswell.org.au backslash nourishing or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And stay in touch via Instagram at nourishing underscore matters and on Facebook at Nourishing Matters to Chew On. If you like what you hear and would like to support us, give us a rating and a review in your favourite podcast app so other people can find us too. 